0: This podcast edition of Other Side of Texas is brought to you by our friends at Flint Boot and Hat, a West Texas original. You want a great hat or you want to make your boots great again, go see them at 3035 34th Street or Flint and 34th Street in Lubbock or see more at flinthat.com. Well, hey there. Thanks for hanging out here and telling friends that you hang out on the Other Side of Texas, a new edition here. As we roll along on a Wednesday right here on the other side of Texas, your host, Jay West Texas Leeson, broadcasting from Racer Car Wash Studios. Racer Car Wash voted Lubbock's best wash around for five years running. Stop into one of their five convenient locations across the hub city for the best wash around. Guaranteed. Check them out, racercarwash.com. Find the location most convenient for you, racercarwash.com. Your thoughts and calls as we roll along here on the other side, 806-745-5800. That's 806-745-5800. You can text in your thoughts there on the text line. I just rolled in. From Plainview. Hard working man. Got my blue collar on. Rolled in from Plainview. And I had a conversation. That, and it's been some time since I shared this story. So many of you new listeners may appreciate the story. But I was in Plainview. And to get s- uber regional here. Within West Texas. As the Caprock climbs up to the panhandle, I was in view and I was sitting around and I was telling some people's story and I just want to, let me just headline this whole thing as West Texicanism, which is something that I talk about regularly on the program, West Texicanism. You're either a West Texican or you're a West Texacant. And by and large today, what we see are West Texicans. Well, you know, you know, we're going to take this poll. Like I see these guys out all the time, all these elected officials, and we're just going to, here's what we're going to do. We're going to take up an initiative. That's a one size fits all, but we're going to find a way with the powers that be to, uh, carve ourselves out in West Texas. And then everything's going to be fine, but it's not fine because they find ways to upset a lot of other folks in Texas government, which I'm not going to get into my spill, but the most important, the most impacting form of Texas, uh, excuse me, of government, if you live in Texas, is the Texas legislature. It's not your county. It's not your local municipality. It's not the federal hysteria of get rid of ICE or don't get rid of ICE or get rid of Trump or don't. It's the Texas legislature. And that's what we like to stay focused on here. So that to say that I was traveling to the show back to the show on I-27. Now I'm a child of Hill County, grew up in Abernathy. And by the way, before I get lost in this whole mix here, what is the deal with the curve on i-27 in Abernathy? I don't know like I'm I'm a son of Abernethy. I don't know that story because there's this radical curve. it's the only like if you look from a map you would say, oh I27 travels this way and that back and forth and it swerves a whole lot. but in Abernathy, there's enough of a curve that it makes vehicles slow down to 55 in order to make the curve like my whole childhood is hearing I27 in Abernathy like the air brakes in Abernathy and on more than one occasion I've been paid to go out and collect animals or items from trucks, livestock trucks, and otherwise, produce trucks that had rolled over on the side of the inter- Now, you may be listening from other parts of Texas. Glad that you are, by the way. But that's the way things roll in Aberdeen. Like that interstate has this curve. And so here's my question. And if you have answers, Jay at other side of te- J A Y at other side of Texas.com. I want to know the history of that curve, because it is the only dramatic curve on I-27. And I don't know who... Well, let's just pull uh, old man Klein out of the air. Like, that's Klein's corner. It's it's the Caprock's version of Klein's corner. Like, who was the guy that fought back imminent domain and made that curve in Abernathy, where you make that hard left... And then you come back and then you make a right and go back up. Whose land was that? That's a great perplexing question for me. But back to West Texicans and West Texicans. And by the way, good show coming up. We're going to feature uh, Greg Vandeklaassen, who's a worldwide renowned, acclaimed equine reproduction and cloning expert in canyon texas he is all for veterinarian practices in texas but is completely against the texas tech vet school initiative uh you've heard me on this program you've read me maybe in different publications say that i think that he's wrong or not that he vanderclassen is wrong but texas AM is wrong want to give the other side of the issue to be addressed so that you can hear it with your own ears. Claussen is, as respectable as anybody and definitely has the bona fides in the region as much as anybody here. You, uh, you let you hear his stance against the vet school. And then you can make up your mind from there. But West Texicans and West Texicans. Here's the story of I-27. If you've not heard it before, I know this firsthand from an assistant to then Congressman George Mahon, who heard the conversation firsthand. George Mahon was a con- the first congressman after we got rid of the Comanches in this part of the world. Uh, it was finally in about 1900, 1935, George Mahon is elected to Congress out of West Texas, from which he would serve... Uh, to whom and for which he would cons- uh, he would serve until 1979. Now, Mahon's big hang-up in D.C. is he grew in leadership and grew, in, and he only voted with his party some 70% of the time. And Janet Nagabauer, no relation to Randy Nagabauer, by the way, has written a great book on Georgia Mahon. I, I hope that you'll check it out. But Mahon's big hangup in D.C. was that he needed a uh, a means for which producers, and mainly cotton producers, but producers of other crops, could get their commodities to market. And the best way was to get them to I-40. So Mahon wanted and doubled down and tripled down and quadrupled down on an interstate system up from Terry Allen's highway, Amarillo Highway 87, he wanted a legitimate inter, interstate infrastructure to get to Amarillo. And so, again, West Texicans, West Texacans, Mahon didn't waste time. Like we see so many leaders now out Lubbock and other places like beat down on this partisan B.S., he found ways to get things done for his region. And as the Vietnam War began, and this is just after JFK died, and it was assassinated, and Robert McNamara started first going to Vietnam and figuring out what this struggle was all about. Lyndon Johnson called, then President Lyndon Johnson called George Mahon. And the rest of the story comes. Firsthand from assistant that was there, Lyndon Johnson calls the West Texan that is George Mahon and says, "George, I need, I need money." And by that point in time, George Mahon was the chair of U.S. House Appropriations. Very, uh, you could argue, but I think. One of the top four or five most important seats in U.S. government. George, I need money for our boys in Vietnam. To which George Mahon played coy and said, well, okay, Mr. President, we'll see what we can do. And LBJ said, no, George, I don't think you understand. We need this road. This road I just drove into the studios from. We need this interstate and LBJ being the politician that he is listening to what is said and what's not said replied to Mahon and said, are you telling me I cannot have my money for Vietnam? I can't have that appropriation unless I give you money for this interstate to which George Mahon replied again, paraphrasing Mr. President, I believe that's correct. And Mahon said things that I cannot say on the radio, FCC would come after me, but essentially said, uh, GD, I'll call you back within the next half hour and boom, hangs up the phone. Mahon gets the call within 20 minutes. The president calls back and says, all right, George, you've got your interstate. I want my money. To which George Mahon said effectively, yes, sir. And that's how I-27 happened. Because there was somebody empowered to make it happen. Not empowered by empowered Texans or any of these foolish things that we see going on in Texas government. Like capitulating to this side or that side. But just playing his cards right, working up both sides of the aisle. Again, 70% of the time in his last... Congressional session voted with his party 60% of the time, and George Mahon got it done. World class West Texican. And regardless of whether or not there's a curve in Abernathy that you may or may not die on, the fact of the matter is he's got things like today. I hear this conversation about extending I 27 down to the border. Now, regardless of whether or not you think it's wise to open a port to a failed state of Mexico, especially North Mexico, the fact of the matter is this. We don't have the horses in the stable to get it done. It's, and what I mean by that is in Lubbock, and that exempts John Frulo. But the, these other guys, they cannot get it done and then the matter becomes: Are you going to take it through San Angelo, or are you going to take it through Midland? And then you got a whole fight on your hands because Drew Darby is a big dog in Texas Legislature out of San Angelo, and then you've got the Tom Craddock problem, and then the emerging Brooks Landgraf problem. So you can't just split off I twenty seven. You can't. That's not going to happen. There's not the money for it. But regardless of the logistics of the problem and the political uh, continuity or incontinuity of the problem, the fact is this, we don't have the horses to get it done in Lubbock because we've elected West Texicans, And that's where I want to lead off, uh, not in the vein. And by the way, that interstate was just to the North loop. I'm going to tell you in the concluding segment of this show How the interstate got to from the North Loop to South Lubbock. But coming up, we got Greg Vandeclausen at Canyon, world renowned veterinarian. Stick right with us here. We're going to get in that conversation, a conversation like you won't hear anywhere. Uh, the most talked about afternoon radio show in West Texas. Stick right with us here on the other side.
1: Johnny can't Texas. drink cause Johnny ain't 21. Yeah, but he's 18 and he's pretty handy with a gun.
0: Well, we've talked about this, and now here he is. He is Dr. Greg Vandenklaassen, a world-acclaimed equine reproduction and cloning panhandle veterinarian. Panhandle being the underlining phrase that you need to recall. Dr. Vandenklaassen, how are you?
1: I'm doing fine.
0: Can I call you Dr. Greg as we go forward?
1: That would be great. I would (laughs) like that.
0: All right. So a couple of things before we get into the the new vet school initiative in texas one is tell me a little bit about can i'm just going to call it canyon clone steak uh you know, what would it be for me to have a bone in ribeye from the grocery store versus something that has uh in some of these research projects at west texas a&m would there be any difference in the taste, and how did you guys come up with this?
1: Well, first of all, you the odds of you eating a clone would be very rare, because clones are quite expensive to make, and it costs about $200 a pound for hamburger. hamburger. Oh. But their offspring is what we what we ate, the offspring, the cross of the, of the two clones, the sires a clone, the dams a clone, and the offspring are not, and, and I thought it was fantastic. Okay, so and you and you would not be able to tell the difference. You There's can't absolutely tell, absolutely no difference. No. All right,
0: so is there like a future in cloning and then reprodu- like are they still put out on pasture? Is it still kind of a feedlot scenario?
1: Well, well, I mean, you know, cloning has been, you know, it, no matter what we clone, it is is the power is through genetics. So the bulls they clone the the it's not for. Uh, you know, and it's mainly in show cattle, uh, the cattle part of it, and show pigs. The cloning has been mainly in show, and they they clone gilts and steers, um, you know, to make lead offspring. So I don't see that there's going to be much of a future in, in cloning. It's it's difficult, and and I don't see the future being, aside from this model, okay. using this model to find out, to, you know, we were looking for what prime and yield grade, if, if, if there's a genetic component to it.
0: Okay, so Doctor G, it's not essentially growing beef in a petri dish. It's
1: it's no. This is not. This is sure not the newest fad that everybody's going to hate the cultured beef deal. Okay, As, this, is, this is actually there's there is absolutely no difference, and you sure couldn't tell, what, looking at them. There's okay, absolutely no difference.
0: So tell us a little bit for the audience in i really appreciate your time and i don't think i know that i know that you've got some some humility but for the audience you're a guy who's been featured in national and international news sitting right there in canyon texas an expert in your field tell us a little bit about how uh greg vana gets to canyon texas what what's your history
1: so uh, you know, I was raised in Santa Fe, New Mexico, and I love that part of the world too. And but but and I went to veterinary school at Colorado State uh, through a program that we had in New Mexico, since New Mexico didn't have a, a veterinary school. There's a program called the Ouija program, and it was several states at that time. And and they paid. That's how I got into veterinary school. They paid for my education. And I economically it didn't seem feasible that I could return to New Mexico and so i came to the panhandle of texas and went to canadian texas and was there for 4 years and then i went to work for joe kirk fulton and uh, worked a couple of years for him, from him and then i came here uh thinking that i was going to to you know everybody has a dream and and it it was a dream all right and and a journey but it wasn't near the journey that i expected it was really hard and so i was exposed to 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 lots and lots of things as we built this this cloning deal here that and i'm only a part of it the the uh, it's a group of people it's it's pretty special viagin is the partner along with jason abraham and it's it's a group of really bright people that really are passionate about what we do and i'm just part of it
0: yeah so dr g talk us through um well There are some names that you just dropped. If you're from this part of the world, you grow familiar with names like Fulton and Abraham, especially as you get up into the panhandle. But tell us a little bit, like I was sitting at dinner last night and it was my wife was busy. She was out and it was me and the kiddos. And we got to talking about my daughter is about to turn 11 And she wants to find, like, she's dead set. Like, she could go to main event. She could do a whole lot of things with a few friends. But what she wants to do is to go uh, lope and trot and kind of freestyle out at some equestrian place. And I said, you know, it's interesting you brought that up because maybe the best uh, equestrian veterinarian in this part of the world is going to be on the show with me tomorrow. And she was like, What's his name? And I said, Well, it's Greg Vaneklausen and then he clones horses, to which all the kids like set down their forks and looked at me and said, What what's that mean? And, well, he can make the same animal. He can and Grace was like, He can make horses over again? I said, Yeah, that's what he does. And they asked me how. And so Dr. G, we're gonna get into this all this other stuff, but tell me how you clone. Is that something I can ask you in like a a two or three minute response?
1: Right. And so it's, 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 the technology is not, it's it's 20 years old, so it's not new technology. And uh, a small piece of skin is taken and it needs to be, the animal needs to be alive. That you're going to clone. We've done some things. This cattle cloning deal was a little different, but it needs to be alive. And that, that skin is cultured and then those cells are frozen. And and then when it comes time to clone, they're thawed out and and uh, they you have to have a, a an, an oocyte which is a, a non-fertilized egg from whatever species you're cloning, and the genetic material is removed from it, and then the nuclear material is put in that, and the process is not as as uh, complex as, as it sounds, and and then a, a, it's a mild electrical charge is run through it and it starts dividing like a normal embryo. And, and then that's put in a recipient animal, depending on whatever species you're cloning, and and the the then it's incubated as a as a normal embryo. Hm.
0: So tell me, so cloned beef doesn't taste different than any other kind of beef, and I've heard you no, say and, before and, that cloned beef is the most studied nutrient in the world.
1: Right. The the company that that did this Viagen when they did the the cattle clone, the FDA made them. Made them do a study, and I, it cost millions and millions of dollars. And it is the most studied nutrient meat that ever has been studied. And there was absolutely no differences, none whatsoever. So, mm-hmm. so it's it's not any different, and it ta- doesn't taste any different. And uh, like I said, it's it's uh, it's got FDA approval, and 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 no one's eating clones; they're just too expensive. I mean, it would be too expensive. Like I said, a hamburger costs you two hundred a pound. And so just eating
0: offspring?
1: We're eating offspring, yes. Okay. And we're doing some, some pretty neat studies up here, and, and they'll be published. Uh, Ty Lawrence from WTAMU is is heading all that, and he'll publish this stuff probably in the next three months, and it's pretty amazing.
0: So is it still Timber Creek Veterinarian Hospital that you run up there in Canyon? yes okay uh we do have greg viniclawson here with us on other side of texas thank you for tuning in i wanted to set all that up for your expertise in the field and it's been what since you've been doing this since 82 right
1: um yes i've been a veterinarian but the cloning part has only been the last 10 years
0: okay so you've been round and about here going on 40. 40 years or so your are bonafides to get you to this point in the conversation that I think a lot of people are I've talked with it seems like the further north of Lubbock that you get the more the conversation has become Texas Tech's veterinary school initiative uh, there in Amarillo and you and I have talked a lot offline uh, fairly often in I've grown to really like you. And uh, I think that we've gone from like trading some barbs on Twitter to having some good conversations I've found of, and I don't mean to flatter you, but of all the conversations that I have with a lot of people, uh, you have proved to me whether or not we agree or disagree on the subject to be uh, the most informed involved. And I think it's important to bring you to listeners because you know, it is the other side of Texas, but we also like to, to cover issues both sides, the other side involved. But you've got disagreement with Texas Tech's Vet School Initiative. Uh, tell us why. Hey, see what I did there? We're going to get Van de Clausen's response, Dr. Greg, as we get back in from the break and get into the nitty gritty politics of the Texas Tech Vet School. Stick right where you are other side of Texas come back about 90 man, seconds a number one in the land a shoe shine man make you shine where you stand Leave me a tip if you can'm Howdy Jay West Texas Leeson here I'm going to tell you about my friends at Flint boot and hat they've been building hats since 1994 and repairing boots I guess since forever my dog chewed up. My ostrich boots, Jared and his guys, replaced the heel, made them look new again, put new pulls on, and at a super affordable price, they've resold my boots, and they build great hats. Love these guys. Go check them out. 3035 35, 34 Street, or Flint Boot and Hat Shop at Flint and 34th Street. See more at flinthat.com. Molded out of red clay and Baked in the West Texas Sun to Perfection is the other side of Texas with Jay Leeson.
1: the same old tune, guitar. Where do we take it from here?
0: Dr. Greg Vaneklausen with us here. Just asking him the question as to why he is opposed to the Texas Tech Vet School Initiative, a uh, vet out of the Panhandle, mind you, and not just the Texas Tech Initiative, but any other vet school in Texas? Hear his answer here.
1: Well, I mean, the main reason is is that we believe as veterinarians that there is not a shortage, as do our, our associations that we're involved with, the uh, American Association of Bovine Practitioners and the American Veterinary Medical Association believe that, that the way that there isn't a shortage of veterinarians, contrary to what all these other published things say, that there are areas that are absolutely underserved, and we don't believe that by increasing the number of veterinarians that you're going to serve those areas, and I'm one of those that believe that. Um, I've been in the panhandle a long time, and, and I don't believe that by increasing the number of veterinarians that we have up here or even... You know, and we're not—we're just not going to—to to, uh, it, it, it. Everything's changed. Agriculture's changed, and the way everybody looks at everything has changed. And and the generation that's the, the new veterinarian has changed. And so I, you know, I and I think we have to do something. And some of the things that I, I you know, we're, we may have to have, uh, you know, nurse practitioners or something like that, for us to 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 serve these rural areas because no. I don't see. Mm -hmm. the veterinarian staying any length of time anywhere
0: okay so you mean in rural places or anywhere in general
1: no i think in rural places i think everybody wants to go to the cities i think that they have a lot more to offer
0: so for young people let me let me ask you a couple of questions here one the texas tribune ran a piece a couple of weeks ago ran well about a week or week and a half ago Ran you as the lead there in your like ZZ top beard and your your cool guy Hawaiian shirt and you know glasses that it looks like maybe your cool daughter picked out for you, but um, I mean you are Greg Vanaclosen after all. But the lead was, and I wanted to address this in the interview. The lead was in the second paragraph, maybe the beginning of the third paragraph. You said. What they had you quoted as, and I'm paraphrasing, is that you'd essentially have to be badass crazy to move to Sunray, and even more crazy, Sunray, which is north of Amarillo, uh, and even more crazy to raise a family there. What you were saying, though, and I I remember you and I talking about, like, I don't think that's something you would say, Greg, where you maybe uh, misquoted here, and you said, uh, yeah, I think what you meant to say there was, You'd be crazy to start a practice there, not to live there, right?
1: Right. That's exactly right. And it could have been any small town in the Panhandle. And, uh, I mean, that was what I meant. And, and, and you know, many of these things that you that I've, I've had been interviewed a thousand times over lots of things, and, and I don't know that there's ever been one that actually said exactly what I meant. So, yeah. I mean, what I did mean was that you, you, it, it would, wouldn't be possible for you to start a new practice in, in some of these rural communities that really, really need you, it's just, it's not possible. Okay. The, the so, economy wouldn't support you. Well, That's let, what I meant.
0: let me give you this assurance, Dr. G, this full interview will be posted in its entirety. No
1: editing. Okay.
0: Uh, you got my, word. you
1: got my word on that. So, and, 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 and just for my shirt, I've worn flowered shirts my whole time I practiced. I've never bought one. I have over 400 of them. I, uh, yeah, what'd you clone I've them? have been given How by did... clients. Oh, they have no, been given okay. by clients, and I wear them because everybody that sees them, I make them smile. And then okay. the glasses are from my high school, so. <laughs> no. You still got I, the not, same I'm glasses from real, high school? Yeah, wow. I'm not a flashy dresser. So. Okay, well, I mean, you kind of <laughs> anyway. look like a cool
0: guy in that feature pic there. Well, I, so,
1: don't, I don't, this is what I wear and always have.
0: Yeah, so let's get into a couple of things. Whenever you talk about uh, bovine practice groups and veterinarian groups that of which you're a part, here's the problem. In 2009, the Texas Higher Education uh, Coordinating Board said that there is a shortage of large animal vets in texas in 2016 it repeated it now that becomes the issue like different groups can say with like so here's here's the problem is that on one side there's the veterinarians and the different groups that say no we don't have a shortage Uh, then you've got the higher education coordinating board saying we do but then we get in the texas cattlemen and different groups on the business end, not the veterinarian end, but the business end who say, who affirm those coordinating reports. So those coordinating board reports. So Dr. Van Vandeklaassen, what are people to believe that there's well, not, I'm, or there I mean, is, or, because it seems like two out of I the mean, three I, parties I, I just, say I, that there is.
1: Well, I mean, you know, the, the studies were done by, by the association, which are veterinarians. And there's not a veterinarian on any of those other boards. And and uh, you know the bottom line is the opinion of the AABP was there's not a shortage of rural veterinarians. There are shortage. There are areas that are underserved, and 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 they're working on trying to fix that. Yeah. No. But there's you don't fix it by making more veterinarians. Okay. We try and make. We need to have. We need to do rural vets, and we we've been working hard, I think, at doing that.
0: Okay, so let's get back into it, but let me let me reframe from another way and see what you had to say there. Um, the argument by Texas Tech via the coordinating board is that there is this shortage. Um, but am I right? There are studies that I've read that say that the average DVM doctor of veterinary medicine graduates. $400,000 in debt. Is that a right figure in your experience?
1: No, that's, I, I mean, I not in this part of the world. I mean, I hear that. Um, but I, but I wouldn't know how you could get that. I'm not saying that there's not a lot of debt when you graduated. Cause I had a lot of debt, but the 400,000 number is way off. I mean, like way off low, high
0: or way off low,
1: way off high. I okay. mean, you know, you, you, um, you know, to, to graduate from A&M, for example, it's uh, $22,000 a year, so that'd be $88,000. That's just tuition now. And, I mean, how you live going to vet school is your, you know, and there's some other things. You, you could either be frugal or, you, you know, or have lots more loans. So, so, I mean, that part, the tuition part of it, it's one of the, and I'm not promoting Texas A&M per se, but it is our veterinary school, and I'm pretty proud of the veterinarians that come out of it, which – our our undergraduate from texas tech they're from every place wt they're from all the different schools ut it is our only veterinary school and so we as veterinarians believe they're doing a pretty good job and we just need to get a few more rural vets
0: and you have uh you've got texas tech grads that are working with you now is that for clinical experience as they go to texas a&m or what is that
1: right i have i have two that got in already i mean i have one that's a sophomore and one that's a freshman that will be a sophomore and uh, they come and they work here they get experience and and we do a little bit of everything here i mean i work on wildlife i work on cattle i work on a little bit of everything so they get exposed to it all and um you know and and the profession has changed i i mean i you don't very rarely do you see a man these are all women so so when i graduated i think i had 12 women in my class and, and now, I mean, there might be 12 men. So, so it's a different group, but they're still as passionate, mm-hmm. and they still want to be veterinarians. And so what I do here is we, and and through the university here, we have some amazing people that have come to become part of this thing, a, a guy named Dee Griffin, which there's not a bovine practitioner alive, doesn't know him, and then Dan Posey, which is the same. We got two of them, and they were, we're trying to, to get uh, younger people to have some experience so that maybe they could return to this part of the world.
0: Yeah. yeah, Dr. Greg Vanna here, Dr. G on other side of Texas. Um, Let me ask you this, because in what I just laid out with the higher education coordinating reports and, you know, I wrote a piece in Dallas morning news and then John Sharp responded. And he said, he, he said that in You know, it's up to interpretation. He said that there is a temporary shortage of, and John Sharp for listeners being the chancellor of Texas A&M, he said that uh, there's a temporary shortage of rural vets in Texas. And it's just person to person what temporary means. Does it mean a five-year gap or is it the seven-year gap between the reports or is it 20 years? Uh, but you, you
1: know, and that and that's a really important way you look at it, because veterinary medicine isn't a two-year, it's an eight-year commitment on average, an undergraduate degree, and then go to vet school. So you're looking at eight years. I can remember in 2008 when they came out and said, we have way too many uh, veterinarians, you know, the economy wasn't that good, and they said we had way too many. Well, remember how many years it takes to get who, veterinarians. Who was they? That's a American Veterinary Medical Association, okay. which is our. There's ninety-one thousand members, and so, so, so this isn't this is a fluid situation. But the the cycle is, is, is not a two-year cycle, and and so it just say this school was built, we're not going to have the first graduating class till twenty twenty-five, and so who's to say what's going to be the same then? You know, maybe maybe there will be a need. Maybe there will be absolutely no need. Okay. You see what so, I'm saying? Maybe, yeah. maybe this school, WT, or uh, a will have produced enough rural vets to fill these few holes that we have.
0: Okay, so, Dr. G, text, and I'll just paraphrase it, but I think a lot of people would make this argument. I want to get your response to it. It seems that, I'll just draw out an analogy. If there were a shortage of plumbers in Texas, and one school had quote-unquote, a monopoly on training plumbers, it might be in plumbers' best interest to, in their own personal self-interest, to prohibit there being more plumbers out in the workforce because it might cut back on existing plumbers' profits. Some would lob that same claim about veterinarian groups, as you stated, the bovine groups and the AVMA and different groups, to say look we don't want more people out there because we don't want to take a cut what do you make of that argument uh,
1: i mean you know it, it i i'm not sure that 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 means anything in veterinary medicine i i don't think it's so much cut in salaries as it is employment um i i, I mean it's we're we're a unique group of people very passionate um the pe the, my the, my colleagues in the panel that i know are we do what we do because we love it. And, uh, you know, you know, we, it's not about compensation, although we all have to make livings. Um, I, I, it's, it's, it's special and it's not like lawyers and we, we have to, we control our own destinies. We, okay. we have to have our own clinics. We have to have our own, everything is ours. Our business is ours. And we're not very good, honestly, at, uh, at running them. We're really good veterinarians, but none of us are very good at running them. So, so I can't see that, that we could com- – it makes no sense to me to compare, to, to compare them like that.
0: Okay, so you've been critical of the $4.2 million that the legislature put out, not for – people get this confused. It was for the Texas Tech Vet School Initiative – and we're way too early in the process to say the legislature was effectively signing off on Texas Tech's vet school. Um, uh, some that's been lost on some ears, the caprock up to the panhandle. But you've said to me that you felt like that money would have better been served to be put into vet loan repayment programs,
1: right? Right, and, and that wasn't just me. That was this 2016 update from the Texas higher education their recommendation was to the legislature that they should fund this existing program and that uh you know to, the to for rural veterinary medicine and yeah. and uh, this mil- a million dollars per year could support 45 veterinarians in rural practices and that is real those are real that med- they're right out of that and you could do that for 4 years and i think after that i think you could see that then you'd have some some da- real data because they'd be real people and they you know you, you wouldn't be making things up and and wondering and I I think that's what I would have done that was a recommendation okay but help me and figure the this out right recommendation was not adopted
0: help me figure this out though that that report so. in 2016 the money's appropriated in 2017 but a couple of questions I want to follow up on you there is to say uh, one a&M has how much money put back? into? I mean, AM can't pony up a billion or half a billion to take care of this debt and this repayment program?
1: Uh, see, those are things I couldn't answer. Okay. I mean, the only things that I know, and I like I said, I don't know how Texas A&M is run. I don't know how the... Actually, I, I don't know a whole lot about uh, how the legislature works. All I know is that when I read this this report, which is what everybody's basing everything on. It said a million dollars. Well, the, that came out, those were tax dollars, that 4.1 or whatever it was million. And, and um, those could have been, I think, and I'm just saying that as a taxpayer, I think they could have been good uh, put to good work, good, good use. I, I have no idea why, why this was not, you know, what, what whatever they can do and what they can't do. And, and I mean, there are some things that to keep your accreditation that you can do and can't do. So I don't think you can just put money out and and pay for school. I don't believe that can happen. But I sure wouldn't be the that'd be a good question for the dean. Yeah. You know, I mean, that's a would be a great question. I think you ought to get her on. Um, I think they're trying. I think they're trying to do some things that we're asking them to do.
0: Dean Green. So uh, yes, I, I want to. Uh got a couple more things on this front and again i appreciate you making time here Uh, on 60 minutes i saw that you cloned like how many argentin is argentinian polo horses
1: right all those horses that were on that 60 minute special were were uh, born here at timber creek i mean they made it sound like they were born in argentina but they weren't there's, there's 28 of them it's been about 6 or 8 maybe 10 years ago and then Adolfo Cambiaso which came who came to the clinic and he uh he he's the one that and, I, and like I said the one of the greatest horsemen in the world and he rode those clones to win the Argentinian Open and it was a good story. I mean there wasn't a whole lot of science in it. Yeah. And um and it was neat and it was neat that they were born here. Yeah. Um, you know so but yeah, that that was a, that that's true.
0: Do you name each one individually,
1: Doctor My crew usually does. We, oh, they we, do. They don't have. Yeah, like, Mike, We don't just say, number have, them. We, no, that, well, those polo horses were all um, we uh, we you know put a microchip in all of them because they were going to Argentina mm-hmm. and we weren't sure. You know, a lot of them look alike. And so we all know who they are, but they might not. And so we microchipped them because there was, there, I think there were six or seven of each of each cell line. So yeah. you had six or seven identical twins, and mm-hmm. and so we did that. We we microchipped them. Yeah,
0: I'm being corrected. It, I, earlier I said the A and M Trust. What I meant was the endowment. And uh, it's how, right, many right ever, in how many ever billion dollars. And I think, but here's the point. And here's what I want to get into is that you talked about how in New Mexico, you had no choice. But Dr. Vandercloss, a lot of people in this part of the world see that your, your Colorado state is closer to the panhandle than is College Station, and so is Stillwater with Oklahoma State. And they feel, and I'll have to look back at the numbers and look at it correctly, but I believe last year, whether it's political stunt or not, that A&M took in more West Texas A&M grads than it had in the decade combined. And I think that that just causes a lot of people to just sit back and take pause and say, you know what is this really about and is right. anyway. there is no choice and in i would, Texas. I would understand
1: and that but but there is i've been involved with this program through with dean hawkins and this who, program was started in dean hawkins 2010. deceased uh, dean hawkins about a year deceased, ago. yes yeah. and one I'm, of my one of my dearest friends uh, yeah and, and i don't say that we I don't i don't say this de- hold
0: on hold on i don't say deceased lightly i know that he was an institution at WT and attracted several people like yourself. So I, I, I don't, I, I throw deceased out there. I don't want you to hear me say, well, he's dead. That's not the, the fact is, is that he built WT into the program that is today. And a lot of people ought to, if they haven't looked at WT's undergrad program for veterinarian and agriculture and really be impressed by what he accomplished.
1: We're right, and, and I think that's where this, if we look at this seriously, I think that's why they started taking these. What we did is we had, they hired people here through the NM system, these two veterinarians, and they have helped students get ready for vet school. We never really had that before Dean came. And it wasn't that they were qualified or not qualified. I don't think anybody really knew how to get into vet school. And they didn't know the classes to take, and I don't think there was – uh, in, this school is amazing now. I mean, they they are taking young students, and if you want to be a veterinarian, they change classes, they've changed teachers, and I think this result of getting these more people in was re- a result. And I've been involved with this since 2010. It, it had, you know, we, it, I, I guess in retrospect, we should have probably done more to to tell the world what we were doing. We were just doing what we thought we were doing. And, and it seems to me like it's working a little bit. We have more people getting in. Um, I think any of the people that work for me are going to come back to rural practice. I don't see any of them not. And, I mean, rural being Canyon, Amarillo, et cetera. I mean, I don't see them going a whole lot farther than that. I just It's just really hard to, to, to get those kinds. And, and there's only a couple more places you could even have a clinic.
0: But, I mean, you look up and you say, well, if you're centered in Pampa, then you've got, you know, a hundred mile radius that you can work within if, if you want to go after. But, but I'm back to A&M has not produced those. So,
1: well, actually everybody has gone and, and I, I met a really neat girl at this bovine conference we had the other day and she is a Texas Tech grad. Her name is Maria. And, of course, everybody that graduates from any school, if there's only one vet school, you end up being a, an A&M graduate, too. And she is an A&M graduate, and she is practicing large animal and having the time of her life, and she's in Pampa, Texas. And so, you know, we talked about the, the rural communities, and she's making it work and, and liking it. And then I have another real good friend that she's leaving. She's pra- dairy practitioner. It's just She's been there seven years. And it's just, uh, it's hard, and it's you know it's maybe time to have a family, and and that might not be where to do that. And so this, it's a very fluid deal, and there's already been two more vets that have already filled that position. Hmm. So so I mean these are things that, I mean I don't know that the real world sees what goes on here, you know, and I and I mean it, I there are the positions are filled again, they were filled quickly, hmm. and, and the other thing is is I I hear that that all these are filled by out of state people but you and I both know i the reason why i'm here is man it's better in texas the economy's better there's no state income tax i mean gosh what you, you couldn't have it any better i mean i mean actually and and then to live in the panhandle you and i both live here and we both love it i mean you know what what more could you want so i can see why people would come and 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 there are and there are jobs and there're veterinary jobs and they seem to fill up now. If you have a place, a veterinary clinic, and you want somebody to work for you, and the clinic has no value for anything, I could see it where you wouldn't couldn't get anybody to work for you. Some of that's that. So you, know, you just it's just not what young people want.
0: Okay, so what tech has done, and this is just me paraphrasing and reading the situation, and just to be plain, you know. I, I lead into this program, J. West Texas Leeson. This is not a red and black thing. It's just looking at the situation as a whole. As the aforementioned 2009-2016 Texas Higher Education Coordinating Board's reports. And, and quite frankly, and this is another hang-up for a lot of people. I'm going to get to the broader question. But the immediate question is this, Dr. Vander Clausen, that a lot of people have seen. WT, West Texas, then state, 1992 forward. A&M has never put the kind of money that it suddenly put. So that, along with the graduating class from WT last year and matching the last decade, a lot of people scratch their heads and say, is A&M just, is this knee jerk? Because they've never put this kind of, and I've talked to people in Canyon. They've never seen A&M pour this kind of money so suddenly into Canyon. What do you make of that?
1: Well, I mean and I've been a part of this through Dean and been privy to the whole thing and I I guess I I guess if I was looking from the outside with your eyes, I might say the same thing but but we have done things this university has done things that no one else has ever done and other people have seen that and and Invested in the money that's been raised to me is amazing. And every two, three weeks, there's somebody else giving us more money for this. No, this but I'm it's, talking about A A&M. and I, and I would see it. I would see it.
0: Okay, but I'm talking about A and M's appropriations directly. Like, know, I've heard and, people, you're, and you're
1: talking about building the veterinary deal. That yeah,
0: the the veterinary thing, and then you've got the ag building, and that's been underway since 2016. But you know, for Sharp to make the argument, Chancellor Sharp. 90 million dollars being invested well i've heard people offline and i think a lot of john sharp i've said these on my honor my uh honor uh honorary hall of fame in texas for texas political leaders but it does sound a little disneyland daddish that you know we've abdicated this for a long time and now we're going to make up for it all of a
1: sudden and i'm and i all i can say is that that i guess because i've seen the inner working I mean, and this, this is Dean Hawkins. Everything you see is Dean Hawkins. So, and and I, it's, it's, he he did this. He put this together. He had this dream. He's worked on it. And, and I've been there and I've listened to the whole thing. And, and, and you're right. If you look at it from the outside, you'd say, wow, this is, this is amazing. But, but I think there was, you know, there, there's something in there. Then it, it started in 2010. So it's taken eight years and. And, and yeah, they've invested into this into this university, and and not really like you said in, in a whole lot of other ones. I think they they've invested, but nothing like this. And yeah, and by the and other so, ones, I mean and,
0: and that's an important statement because John Sharp has said that we're going to create this pipeline plan from Tarleton and from Kingsville and uh, from Canyon and from Prairie View, and you know each of those dealing with different different parts of livestock but it's only been canyon that he's poured into and so like here, here's oh,
1: that we that we know of i mean those are that, things you would yeah, have but, to ask him uh, i well, don't know but
0: that we know of and that's been on public record and that they've issued states statements on but here's my question to you dr der clausen is what why not just build if you're concerned about turnout rural vets in west texas the caprock up to the panhandle. Why not just build a new DVM at at West Texas A and M?
1: I would be adamantly against that too. You would be against that too. Absolutely. At WT, this that's not the way we. You need to address this problem. The problem needs to be addressed by by the way they're addressing it by having two expert DVMs that understand rural practice that was head of the Academy of Rural Practice and know what we need and taking students from Texas A&M that would actually go through a program here that would expose them to rural veterinary practice. All right. So And, and I, I look at this as just a finger. I mean, you know, I think maybe pipeline was the wrong thing to say, maybe. I don't know that I would have said that, but I'm not an expert at what I say anyway. My words get taken out. Well, and to, to you be fair every day.
0: To, to Chancellor Sharp, who's been doing this for 40 years, he started with Pipeline, but Pipeline leaves a bad taste in a lot of people's mouths up in this part of the world because... And, I, know, and I agree. Because uh, that Pipeline that plan has never worked, so he changed his phrasing to a uh, two-lane superhighway, I believe is what he referred to it as, to, to change the wording. Uh, but here is, we close out here... And I don't want to close out. And whenever you come to Lubbock, I want you to let me know, because we need to do a whole hour on this. Yeah, we'll,
1: we'll finish this up, because no. like I said, you know a lot more about the legislative part. I know nothing about
0: well, it. Well, but you know, I will say this, to give credit to you, Dr. Van Clausen, is that uh, it, Lubbock is often referred to as the biggest small town in the world, and whenever contentious issues come up, lots of people just sit back. And they send emails, but they won't engage it publicly. And uh, the region itself can be the biggest small region in the world. And you've stepped into this, and and I certainly appreciate how much ever I, I agree with you is beside the point. I appreciate you stepping into it. I want to ask you this: Texas Tech says, uh, Doctor G, that it's going to it's going to provide this school. It's going to going to be a a different model an innovative model as the coordinating board called for in that it's going to be a 90 million dollar build there at the health sciences center campus in amarillo but it's not going to have an internal hospital which will help with the overhead cost and the operating costs year to year it's going to build the institute the system texas tech is going to build relationships and has it says built relationships with veterinary practices where people can get the clinical experience that they need in other places and that will help offset the cost in this conversation about where what, what's best use for taxpayer dollars that seems to me to be a pragmatic solution that we aren't going to have an internal hospital we want them to be rural vets. We're going to put them out there. They're going to practice in rural places. And given that's a pretty wide – I would think that that's Oklahoma, Kansas, not just Texas, but in a, in a wide swath of a region. Uh, what's wrong with that proposal?
1: I mean, I like I said, I I think the model is flawed. They've modeled it after Calgary. And, and just yesterday – in this clinic, we had our team here, and our team, I mean, I spent a lot of time in Canada and Calgary and Fort McLeod and, and Lethbridge a lot of time because that's part of our cloning operation. And the chief scientist was here yesterday, and we talked about that, and there are problems with that veterinary school. It's heavily subsidized. In Calgary. and, and In Calgary, and that's the model, and, and they're okay with that. The, the Alberta province. And the people in Alberta have spent 200 million more than they thought they would, but they're okay. They have oil sand, and they want a veterinary school. And that's like I said, they and and there's been no recent school that's able to that's been come online to produce vet students cheaper than the ones that are already here. That's a fact. Okay, so and that came from that AVMA study I, I was talking about.
0: Okay, so so
1: so I mean, you know, I I, I guess we're gonna find out. So.
0: So, the Texas Tech ask is $18 million, $18.5 million appropriation annually. Uh, it's expected, and this is based on numbers that you've told me before, that the average debt coming out, as we've mentioned previously, from from AM is $22,000 a year, and Texas Tech's is going to be about $21,000. i would have to verify that with Texas Tech, but. Uh, whenever we get into a well, subsidy, I mean, whenever we get into a subsidy conversation, it doesn't seem quite the same as Calgary. In that, Tech has the ninety million to build the facility, and it's going to ask for eighteen million. And its students are graduating about a thousand dollars behind Texas A right. and
1: M. Right, and to me that doesn't pencil out, and and Calgary's tuition is much much less, okay, because it's subsidized. And so, in and, and many of these schools, you know, aside from A and M, they take out-of-state students because that's what pays for the school. Many many schools, like Colorado State, half of them are out-of-state people, and so they do that. They can double the out-of-state tuition, and that's how they make up the difference. Yeah. Okay, so, so so I mean, there's 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 a lot more to this than than uh, you know than it's it's not none of this is easy.
0: Yeah, no, and, and I
1: mean, I you know, I I, I would I'd love to talk to to uh dr or uh, chancellor duncan i i mean i i'm sure he's a fantastic guy too um i don't know that you know that that he'll be around to do that with me but i'd like you to talk to him i mean you're you're that's your part of the world too and i wish he would come on and you'd ask him so i could listen to those questions and
0: well i'm sure that and, there's a, and, a lot of conversation to get to in the next six months um let me yep. let me ask you this And here's you and I just being region first and not wearing maroon and white or red and black. The more I hear about this issue now, to be fair, I err on tech side. I think that the coordinating board reports, the businesses, I think it begins to tilt tech's way. But that said, I think that there's danger in overselling the issue and underselling the issue. And this being Texas Tech's vet school initiative, based on those coordinating reports and overselling, I hear people say, well, Tech's going to put together a school and 100% of these graduates are going to go on to rural places. I, I don't think that's realistic. I think that it's it may be 40 it may be 35%, it may well be 30% uh, that right, are going to go and on to do... it
1: after Calgary, that's what it is.
0: and But... Here's the deal: in underselling it, in playing the John Sharp hand that Texas is too big to need another vet school, or you know whatever kind of, in my view, jumbled messaging that's going on from College Station. In underselling, it's not being done now, and I think a lot of people have grown impatient at it, at it actually happening. So why not give it the opportunity to happen and maybe 60% of those graduates stick from Texas Tech and maybe rural needs are met? Because, again, back to the original point, it doesn't seem like what we're doing now is working. So to completely undersell it and dismiss it, I think, is wrong. But to oversell it and say, well, we're going to graduate 54 in our first year and they're all going out to rural locations, I don't think that's feasible either, Dr. Van der
1: Right, that that's not going to happen either, and I and I'm not I'm not uh, an alumni of either, nor do I care about either one of them. I'm a veterinarian, who's a passionate veterinarian, who so had a has had an incredible journey, and that's what I am. So so I mean I can see I don't tend toward either side. I can see that, that we are getting results for what we're doing, here, albeit the world doesn't know because it's not published every day. But I'm seeing the results of it. I myself as a veterinarian are seeing the results of putting all this into this program. And like I said, it's a fluid deal, but it doesn't, it's not a two year cycle. It's a 10 year cycle. And so, you know, you, you, if you're expecting results to happen yesterday, then, then, and like I said, we're not going to know anything about this till 2025. That's a long time. That's a long, long time. That's a lot of dollars to me, that we don't have in this part of the country. We don't have education dollars that they're gonna to have to get every year to, to fund this thing that could be funded to, I say, I have a lot of friends at Texas Tech that teaches Texas Tech. That That is money that could go to Tech, could go to WT, you know, could could go to, to uh, bigger and better things instead of something that I personally feel, along with almost all my colleagues, is not necessary.
0: So, Doctor Greg, and like
1: I said, this has nothing to do with Texas Tech and Texas A and M to me. This is a vet deal.
0: Doctor Greg Vanacloosen, you can follow him on Twitter at there are three G's involved here: G R E G G D M V. Uh, they're at Timber Creek Veterinary Hospital in Canyon, and uh, I am going to tell you, probably going to bring the kids up, and I want you to sedate the animals because my kids are, are crazy and uh they're, okay
1: that's all right they're going to be <laughs> pretty we excited all, we, we like we like that and, and and i do appreciate your your honesty it, it's it's really nice well it's
0: it's nice to have the other side of the issue and uh to to mull on it fully to be informed and i will tell my kids to be prepared for your hawaiian flower shirts
1: yeah they're going to. it'll be a different probably a different one every day you might see the same one in your lifetime but we, we do we try and wear a new one every I can, day
0: i can hear it now dad why can't you grow a beard like him <laughs> no
1: <laughs> you just I, I and i honestly i don't know why i do some of the stuff i do just it just happens and and uh, like i said i think you'll see how much fun i have though and, and i and how much fun veterinary has been veterinary medicine has been for me so
0: well look them up and uh again is we got what five months here a little bit more than five months when you get up here you let me know and uh you come on the show appreciate you giving uh, the other side be. of it thank all you. dr greg thank you all right Party through the painting. Welcome back in as we close out the program. Listen, tomorrow we're going to have James Arnold, president of ABC Bank, on the show. I say this all the time. uh, Forget the talking points, whether it's some politician, some political action committee, local, uh, the GOP office, or the Democratic office. Forget all that. Uh, Just listen to what's going on economically wherever you live and you'll have a better understanding of what you're fighting for. Uh, James Arnold. Nobody knows local economy in West Texas in the Lubbock area better than James Arnold. He'll be on the show with us tomorrow. You'll want to tune in for that. Good conversation coming up with him. And then also check in with Blue Collar Bill, our friend Blue Collar Bill. See how things are going out there on the Blue Collar front in the region. And then also on Friday, no... More important syllable in what I'm about to say than D, D -D. D-E-D. Brandon Darby, my buddy, Breitbart, Texas editor, your buddy, be in studio on Friday. He and I are going to play a game of master debaters, D, master debaters. And uh, that'll be a lot of fun. And guess who the judge is going to be? The judge is going to be... Retired Colonel out of Dias Air Force Base. Retired Colonel Michael Bob Starr. Check in with Michael Bob Starr. What's he been up to? And I think that you'll find that what a virtuous guy. What what he's been up to since the campaign. You last saw him running for Congress. What he's been up to since then. A great guy. And uh, glad to have him in with Brandon Darby and myself on Friday. And so where I left off. In my story about West Texicans and West Texicans in the monologue, Tip O'Neill out of Boston, out of Massachusetts is the speaker of the house and he needs, this is, I think uh, 70 or so. He wants a subway system for Boston, the Massachusetts Transport, whatever they call it now, it's a world-class system subway system he wanted that built back then and guess who he came to to try to make it done the ultimate west texican george mahon out of west texas uh, house member chairman of appropriations and he said george i need you with this and george said i need you to be with me on something else to which speaker o'neill said what's that He said, I need that interstate I've gotten from the president. I want it to be extended 10 miles from the North Loop in Lubbock to South Lubbock. Tip O'Neill, in no position to say no, gave those uh, interstate miles over, that 10 or 12 miles over to George Mahon. And all I'm saying there is if you're driving from South Lubbock to Amarillo, You need to understand how you got there. And it was based upon a great politician, a West Texican. And every time you ride that road, here's my only request, that you think about where we are now and what was then. And people can stuff the nostalgia argument in their ear. We're in a place and time in rural Texas and in rural metropolises like Lubbock where we need those kinds of leaders. This program will be a place where those leaders can find refuge and where you can find straight talk. Uh, So speaking of straight talk, the other side of the issue there, Dr. Greg Viniclausen, and you'll get more of it right here. Thank you for sharing this program with your friends, with your coworkers, with your family. Every afternoon, 5 to 6 p.m. Podcasts are always Central Standard Time, by the way. Podcast always up in the evening of, and we wouldn't be here without you. Whenever I stop having fun and feel like rural Texas is where it needs to be, I'll stop doing this. Until then, I look forward to seeing you next time. Right here, gonna get home. Got to get home. Great family, above average dinner waiting for me there at the lease in Ponderosa. Best to you. Check us out other side of Texas. Follow us on Twitter ostx show and they're on facebook other side of texas we'll see you next time right here am